we're in, uh, we're talking about Joseph, but we're really not talking about Joseph. Um, we're talking about God, and it's not Joseph's life so much as it is God's life for and, and through Joseph. And that's important as we talk about the life and times of Joseph, where the life, we have these little benchmarks, these here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. And then we find out over the course of his lifetime that God had something bigger in mind. So I'm going to ask you, before we read this story, and we'll read and then pause and read and pause, I'm going to ask you to, there's a temptation that Christians have when we read stories like this. The temptation is that, that we look, that we, we miss the hardship and only look at the blessing, and then we wonder why, when we have hardship, we wonder why, why aren't our being blessed? Um, they go hand in hand most of the time. The other thing that we, that we, we are often tempted to do is to, is to see God's favor as reward. And that is, you can't find that in this life of Joseph. God isn't rewarding Joseph for anything. In fact, up until this passage, everything we've known of Joseph, we've never even heard Joseph utter God's name. We, he, he had some dreams, right? And, uh, but he didn't say God gave me this dream. He didn't say that God told me this is what's going to happen. We, we have no idea up until this point that, that Joseph has any idea about God, that he cares about God at all. In fact, if he did care, it's most likely that he doubted significantly when his brothers tried to kill him and then they sold him into slavery. He became the property of someone else. And those, along that journey, when he's in the back of that wooden cage on the back of a cart behind a camel um, for weeks as he goes off to Egypt, he's probably, probably somewhere in there went, why? So it, 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 it's tempting to see God's favor. We hear here several times that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God, everyone could see that God was with Joseph. And we, 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 the temptation is to see that as reward. But then when things go badly for us or when we're, when we're in pain or when someone has betrayed us, like that happened with Joseph, we, we don't want it to be punishment for what we've done wrong, but if things go well, we want it to be reward. So it's either dependent on us, it's punishment when things go wrong, and, and because it's, 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 it's reward when things go right, or it's not about us, it's about God's greater plan and God's greater vision, God's greater story that he's writing. And so it has nothing to do when things go poorly. It's not that we're being punished, just as when things go well for us. It's not our reward. It's not based on our merit. So I'm asking you to have that thought when you're reading this and when you're hearing this, to, to, to remember that there's a difference between reward and favor, just as there's a difference between punishment and hardship. Let's read. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. We talked about that story last week. Po uh, Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. Now, just so you know, Pharaoh is the king. Pharaoh king, basically the same thing, but Pharaoh is considered, any Egyptian Pharaoh is considered a god to the Egyptians. And, and, and all, the, all the, the, god, the different gods that the I'll put it to you this way. The, the job of the Pharaoh, as they saw it in their worldview, in their spiritual worldview, is that the world is chaos. And if they don't have Pharaoh, there is no order in the world. The job of Pharaoh to an Egyptian 
is to bring order to chaos. So the closer you are to Pharaoh, the more order there is. The, furthest you, the further you get away, the more chaos there is and calamity. And so as, as Pharaoh's influence expands, in their mind, more order comes to the world. And so it's, the Pharaoh claims to be a god. In fact, that whole idea of order and chaos goes right back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, uh, God the, the, the idea is there when God speaks into light, when he brings form from nothingness, the, there, there's this idea, uh, this Hebrew idea of chaos, that God brings order to chaos. So almost every false god claims to be like the real true god. Pharaoh, though, all the different gods that they have, him being the primary, they're demonic. They're not, they're not of God. But watch what God, our God, the true God, the, the, the king of the universe, the, the creator of all things, look what he does even to a pagan God, a pagan uh, ruler. You've got Pharaoh and then you've got this Potiphar guy and he's the captain of the guard. He's in charge of the prisoners and that kind of thing. Watch how God, even with these evil people, um, watch how our God, the true God, the one true God, watch how he blesses people that are even wicked. who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, just to pause here, this means that Joseph had become, he'd gone from a man who was part of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now Joseph, who's not the eldest, he's not Reuben, but Joseph, he's the one that God has chosen for some reason, the one that his dad had shown favor to, nothing, nothing that he had merited, nothing that he had done on his own, but his dad had shown Joseph favor. And God is choosing to use Joseph, one of the younger ones, to continue his blessing that's supposed to be part of uh, passed down from father to oldest son. This is a theme for God. He doesn't go the way we want it to go. He goes the way he chooses to go. Now, this man, this young man, he's 17 when he gets sold, 17 to 18 when he gets sold. Um, and by the time he ends up in Potiphar's house, he is now a thing. He is property. He's no longer considered a man. He is a slave, someone, he was sold by his brothers for 20, 20 pieces of silver. And now Potiphar, obviously the Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites made some money on it. So Potiphar paid even more. And he now owns this person. And I want you to know, and I'm not making a comment about our, our culture or the history of, our, of, our, of these United States, because slavery is evil. But every culture Every civilization and every race at one time or another has been used, has been bought and paid for and thingified, taking away the, the human will, the human soul, and turning them into property. So Joseph, who's the person that God, uh, that, that his father favored and that God wants to use to bring about something glorious, God allowed Joseph to be purchased by another human being. He has no will of his own. He can't, he can't make up his own mind about anything. The Lord was with Joseph. He'd just been sold into slavery. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time that he put him in charge, Joseph in charge of Potiphar's stuff, by the time he put him in charge of his household, or from the time, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the, and, and in the field. So he left Joseph, he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's a pretty good deal for Potiphar. He bought a person, and that person not only makes his life better, but makes him richer than he's ever been. Somehow, for some reason, God has allowed Joseph, he, he, Joseph has kind of become Midas. You remember that old fairy tale that Midas, everything he touched turned to gold? Joseph is this kind of guy. For some reason, God has chosen to, to allow what he could have prevented. He allowed Joseph to be sold, almost killed, should have been killed, that's the brother's plan, sold into slavery, purchased by another human being, and over the course of, this is not days, that paragraph isn't days, it's not weeks, it's not months, it's years. Imagine if you purchase another person, God forbid we ever end up in a situation where, but we know it's in our world, human trafficking or people being sold for the perversion of other people. But imagine if, if you... If you're Potiphar and you bought this, uh, this uh, Israelite, this, this Hebrew, are you going to say, hey, I understand, you know, you just got, your brothers hated you, your dad loved you, your brothers hated you, and they sold you out, and here you go, and I just paid, they, made, they bought you for 20, I bought you for 40, here, take care of everything for me, everything. I'm mean, going to trust you with it, you got it, and I know, no, it happens over time. He sees that he does a good job. He sees that whatever he does, it goes well. He sees that somehow some, some entity, we hear here that because that, that, we're the ones telling the story that Christians are, that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Jacob. There's something different about this guy. But over the course of years, probably five to ten, Joseph, everything he touches turned to gold. He is now better off than any other slave, most likely in Egypt. He now has a voice. He gets to speak on behalf of his master. He gets to do everything to make his master richer. In fact, some of you folks that work for an, a, 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 a company, a business owner, there's a, there's a TV show uh, where this guy works in an outdoorsman store, and, he, and, he, and every year on the anniversary, he comes in and he gives a gift to, to the owner, and he says, thank you for giving me the opportunity for the last 20 years to make you a rich man. That's what Joseph's doing. And some of you that work for a sole proprietor, you know, you're, the, the more you work, the more someone else is blessed. It doesn't mean that they're not blessing you too, but part of your job is to make your company wealthier. And God takes your labor and allows that to prosper. And if it doesn't prosper, it's not only because of you, it's because God, for some reason, wants something to change here. So everything that Joseph did turn to gold. Every, in the field, in the house, everything he did, he did well until. Now, Joseph was, by the way, those of you who have children in the room, we're not going to get explicit. I'm just going to read what the scripture says, but you might have to have a conversation on your way home, especially with the younger ones. This is almost PG-13. Now, Joseph was well-built 
and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said with an exclamation point, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? By the way, this is the first time we hear Joseph ever mention God. So we know there's something there. We know there's some sense of beholding to someone beyond his master. And beyond his master's master, which would be Pharaoh. And beyond his master's master is the master. And Joseph knows that it's wrong to be with another man's wife, period. Potiphar's wife should know that too. So Joseph resists. It says here, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused. He refused to go to bed with her or to even be with her. So imagine how awkward that is. He works in her husband's house. Think of it like a butler, but he's more than that. He's going to see her. And so when he finds out that she's in this room, he'll go around. He, he's got to run around like crazy just to stay away from her. And I, you got you, you to think that he's going in his mind. He's thinking, oh, my, are you kidding me? First, first, my brothers hate me. And he might understand why a little bit by now. I don't know. And then they try to kill me. And then I get sold into slavery and I become this thing. And then I work for this guy and I've earned his favor. He's earned Potiphar's favor, but you don't earn God's. And everything's going good. And now this woman keeps chasing after me and wants me to do the one thing that'll get me killed. Because folks, slaves, when they mess up, or even if you get sick of your slave, if you're an Egyptian slave owner, you get sick of them, you don't want them anymore, you can sell them. Or you just kill them. I, 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 that's terrible. But they're, they're not seen as human beings. They're seen as things. You get, you, your dog gets old. You, it's hard, but sometimes you have to put it down. That's how they saw slaves. So Joseph is like, I'm going to die if I don't stay away from this woman. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. And he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in, his, in, in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Now, this is the second time that clothing that identifies Joseph has been used for his peril. Remember the coat that his dad made? A richly, finely ornamented coat. His brothers, that's the first thing they take from him. And then they ended up, when they didn't kill him and they threw him, threw him uh, sold him for slavery, they, they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the, dipped the cloak in it and they took that, that coat home to dad. So the very thing that identifies Joseph as Joseph was used as evidence against him. 
Same thing here. The very thing that, that, that tells everyone that he is second only to the captain of the guard. That he's in charge of the household. That when he speaks, he speaks for Potiphar. This is the thing that she grabs. And he ran away. And I, I got to tell you, I don't know the clothing of Egyptian slaves, but he may have run away uncovered. Put yourself in his shoes just for a second. And I know it's hard because we don't, in, in, our, our, in our frame of reference, we don't understand what it's like to be a slave. We can't. But Joseph knows if he and Potiphar's wife connect, he's a dead man. And when he takes off, I don't know if he's hiding. I don't know if he's trying to find Potiphar so he can get on top of the story, get it out there ahead of time to, to reduce the spin that, that Potiphar's wife's going to put on it. But he knows one thing. When she brings my cloak to my master, I die. After all the years that he's worked for this man, I'm going to die. She kept the cloak beside her until her, his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as, soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story that his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, this tells you something about Potiphar's wife. And I know it's hard when you just look at it, but it says, number one, she accused. She didn't say, oh my goodness, honey, I'm so glad you're home. One of these people that works in the house, he tried to take advantage of me. I'm so thankful that I have you. Nothing like that. It was accusatory. That Hebrew, remember when, remember when God comes and says to Adam, where are you? And he goes, well, that, you know, why, why, how do you know you're naked? That woman you gave me. It's God's fault now, right? This is Potiphar's fault. She says, that Hebrew you brought us came to make sport of me. And it says he's seething or burning with anger. He's not angry with Joseph. Because if he were angry with Joseph, he would say, off with his head and he would be done. He's angry with his wife. He knows, evidently, her character. He knows her experience. He knows that when she gets shunned by other men, this is how she behaves. And this time she has evidence. So he puts him in prison. Not the pri this is a prison where people go who miffed the Pharaoh. We'll find out about some others, the cupbearer, um, just, just next week. We'll find out about some people. They, they frustrate the Pharaoh and he puts him in prison. This is the prison. This is the prison where Potiphar is in his house where he lives. So he puts Joseph in prison. He doesn't kill him. Because he's seething and burning with anger because of his wife's lies. But if the lie is out there and he does nothing, then his family loses face and honor. Joseph thinks he's going to die, ends up in prison. Do you think he asked the question, what? <laughs> Why? And some of us will look at this, and, and this is a good temptation. This is fine. A, a temptation sounds like a bad thing. A lot of us want to emulate Joseph because he's a man who works hard. He's got a good Dutch work ethic. He's morally strong. 
and he does his best to avoid sin. Okay, emulate it. But there's more going on here because God's doing something here. God is allowing what he could prevent because God knows something bigger than Joseph is going on. This is not about Joseph. It's about God. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. It doesn't say that he was successful in everything that he did. It says that the Lord gave him success, that the Lord shows him favor, that the Lord, not out of, not out of Joseph's merit, but God is trying to do something else. God is taking a, a spoiled brat kid whose brothers hate him and sending him to a foreign land because God knows coming after a lifetime, after Joseph's lifetime from 17 until he's almost an old man, that something's coming that's going to destroy all the known nations of the world. Famine is coming. God has known this from the beginning and he's allowing Joseph to suffer. He's showing him favor in the midst of it, but he's allowing Joseph to go through a five to 10 years of, of earning the favor or earning the respect of Potiphar. Then he brings, he allows Potiphar's wife to accuse him falsely of something. He puts him in prison. And just like it didn't take hours or days or weeks or months, but years to, to, to earn Potiphar's trust. So it is in the prison. So we're looking at a decade to 20 years where Joseph has gone from being a 17 year old young man whose brothers wanted to kill him to being Potiphar's right-hand man, being falsely accused, thinking he's going to die again, and now he's in prison, and five to ten years later, he's in charge of everything in the prison. What is God doing? God is setting him up to be his agent for all the nations. He's not being rewarded for things he's done. God is setting him up and showing him favor so that he can do something else. Here's my question. And I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. This is an intellectual exercise or a, 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 a thought exercise. If things go well for you, don't we usually think that God is rewarding us? And when things go badly, don't we ask why? But I'm going to ask you to do this. Look back in your life. When you've been betrayed, when you've been ill, when you lost a husband or a wife, or you've seen your child suffer, or when someone that you were faithful to was unfaithful to you, or someone who accused you of something that you didn't do, when there's some thing in your life where tragedy or pain or betrayal or hurt or in, things that you didn't do to yourself but just happened when life hit, no matter how good things are now, don't you still look back and go, thank you, Lord, for this. But why? Yes, Lord, you've blessed. But help me out over here. 
See, those are anchor points in our lives. I've had 14 surgeries, 22 dislocations, nine car accidents, two rollovers, two concussions. I can't think of my life without the painful events. I can't consider how to behave toward others without considering those who've had authority over me and their betrayals of me. Those make me who I am. The pain makes me who I am. I want it to go away, but I don't want to lose what it's done. Joseph, though, when I look at him, I want to say he persevered, he persevered, he persevered, he strived, he remained faithful. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that God has something bigger to do than you and your experience. And we like to get so myopic that we make it about us. And God is going to save Egypt He's going to save the people that God plans to bless for all of, all of history. The 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph being one, the other 11, and, 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 and his own dad. He, he, he's going to bring them and he's going to save them through the one that he allowed to suffer. So God allowed what he could have prevented because he wanted to do something else. Something bigger. So I, wanted, I just want to challenge you to ask yourself or to look at your, those anchor points, those painful things, those surgeries, those illnesses, that cancer diagnosis, whatever it may be. Look back. And you can ask why. Please do. But look back and understand that God allows what he could prevent because there's something bigger he wants to do. We've all heard this. It's so cliche. God has a plan for you. And he does. He made you and he prepared in advance good works for you to do in your lifetime. They're not your works, they're his that he wants you to do. In fact, he created you in such a way that no one else can do those good works if it weren't for you. But he's going to allow sometimes that pain, that hardship, that sorrow, that betrayal, and that ripple, that little pebble in your life that, that becomes, it feels like a tsunami. It's going to destroy you and wipe over you and drown you. It feels overwhelming and awful. He might be preparing something that you're, you're effect, it affects you, you affect someone else. And 13 generations down the line, God's going to save the world. He's going to redeem a people. You don't know. I don't know. I can't know because I'm not God. But our call is the same as it was to Joseph. Be faithful. Not that God will reward you if you do everything right. Not that he'll punish you if you do something wrong. It's that he's got something bigger in mind. So when it hurts, hold unswervingly to the, to the hope you profess because the one who promised is faithful. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, not what you have. And sure of what you don't see. In fact, I will say this, and I've said it before, but, but if, if you behave faithfully because it's easy, there's no faith involved. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and you don't see. So when everything looks like you should give up, you should abandon, you should walk away, that you shouldn't trust, that's when faith is required. I want to just assure you of one thing. God is not afraid of whatever happens in our lives. Watch the TV today. Turn on any news channel. I don't care what it is. Somehow, some way, if you're not, if you haven't been 
regularly feasting on this cornucopia of joy, you will look at the TV and go either, we're going to hell, or what is going on? I want to assure you of one thing. God's not afraid of the political milieu. God is not concerned. He might be concerned, but he's not concerned about if this happens or that happens or if this person gets, and if that, those accusations are true. He, God's not fickle. And that whatever this watershed point is, is in our culture or in the world as a whole, God looks at it and it's, it, it's happening in such a way that he, has four, he, he knew ahead of time and it's playing out. Why? Because whatever the result, whether it be next month, next year, the next decade, or the next millennium, God is going to redeem people with the blood of Christ that are not yet redeemed. And it may be that he calls us to suffer in the meantime. Why would God bless even the wicked? Pharaoh, Potiphar. Potiphar's wife didn't get thrown in jail. But we hear in the scriptures in the New Testament that Jesus says, God shows his favor even to the wicked. Why? For the same reason that you love someone who's hurt you. For the same reason you keep praying for that kid that's walked away from the faith. For the same reason that you're still hurt because someone who should have, you, who, who should have been trustworthy abused you. It's the heart of God and God wants things to be right. And God loves the people who are wicked. And he loves the people who are righteous. And he wants more wicked to become righteous. And I'm sorry that you suffer. I'm sorry if you're in pain. And I'm really sorry if someone has betrayed you. Please rest assured that God will not waste your pain. I don't know how he's going to fix it. I don't know how he's going to redeem it. But you cannot argue that Joseph had a pain-free life. But you can argue that it wasn't about Joseph. It was about God saving the known nations of the world through allowing Joseph to have a lifetime of pain with blessing and blessing with pain accusations, death threats, and dreams. Wait and see what God does, but understand that this isn't a paragraph to a paragraph to a paragraph that you can read in three minutes. This is a person's life. And you know who else has a life? You. And you know it's not about your life. It's about God's life in you, for you, and through you. God is still writing his scriptures, and he will not waste your pain but it is for something bigger. And you may never know what it is, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't trust. Let's pray. Courage, Lord. We need courage. You allow us to suffer. You allow hardships. You allow betrayals. You allow broken bones blinded eyes, deafened ears, broken marriages. You allow disease 
and you allow our children to walk away from the faith. But you tell us that you're doing something bigger. And Lord, we'll do our best to trust. But it is so easy to be afraid. Give us courage. In Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. Look, if the worst thing that, if you've been blessed beyond measure, and the worst thing that happened to you last week was you were driving home from the beach when it was still warm out back in the day, and you forgot that Lakewood was under construction and you had to sit for four stoplights before you could turn into Crazy Horse, if that's the worst thing that's happened to you, that's not a hardship. That's a mild inconvenience. But if you have been blessed beyond measure and have none of those major anchor points in your life that are so hurtful and painful, praise God because he's shown you favor. Not deserved, not saying you've been bad, but he's just chosen to show you favor. And if you're a person who has been blessed and you have those anchor points, those painful experiences, God won't waste them. And praise God because he's shown you favor. Even in the midst of hardships, God brings grace. In fact, most of you know that if in the midst of those hardships is when you know God best. You can't imagine going through something like that without knowing that God loves you. So remember, hold on to hope. And when you see the world falling apart, pray for it. Ask God to move at God's speed. And just so you know, last thing, God's speed is three miles an hour. We live in an 80 mile an hour world. God moves at three miles an hour. When Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth. He wasn't distracted by texts, instant messaging, YouTube, 24 hour news cycle. He just spent time walking, talking, knowing, and loving the people that he was with and he was known by them. Slow down, be known by God, and know God. He'll make it work when it's supposed to work. He knows better than we do because he's God. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. He has to look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and end the peace of Christ.